The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. All right, well, I'd invite you to uh, look at this, your handout. There, the sermon of the day is just what the Bible says about missions. I spontaneously announced about three, four weeks ago, hey, let's have missions month. And uh, so we've been able to do that. Ever's preached on missions and practical point of view, and then I was able to share what God did in Kiev, and so I'm going to wrap it up today on an overview of what the Bible says about missions. I could probably preach like a 12-week series on what the Bible says about missions, so just to remind you, this is not an exhaustive, comprehensive, detailed uh, study of what the Bible says about missions. This is a survey big picture. So you may be leaving today with some questions, uh, more questions. That's good. If you, if you leave a sermon thinking and asking questions, I was told that was a good thing. Because um, you were listening and challenged and a thought was provoked, hopefully from God's Word. And that's probably going to be true here because there's so much that could be said about missions beyond six points that I have right here. So we're just going to do a survey, big overview of what the Bible has to say about mission. missions, emphasizing the big points. If I were to have all of you write on a piece of paper, can you write me a, a definition of missions? and you wrote it down, and then you turned it in, and I read those, we'd have some different answers. We might even have some answers, and even though those of you that wrote it were Christians and say you believe in the Bible, we might even have some definitions of missions that contradict each other. should not be a surprise. Uh, that was one of my goals in having this survey. Let's clarify and make it real crystal clear on the basics and the priorities of missions according to the Bible. Uh, because there is a lot of confusion about missions. And I'm going to talk about some of that confusion as we go through. Uh, but our guide will be Scripture. And that needs to be the authoritative source. Also, I would encourage you to listen very carefully to what I'm saying today. I'm going to say some things that hopefully don't shock you too much. But some would perceive some of the statements as scandalous. or Because I said one thing, uh, that I meant something else. I, I know that's going to happen. That is not intentional, but just listen very carefully and hone into what I say. Don't hone in on what I don't say. That's the challenge when you have 45 minutes to teach and preach on something that requires about four hours. Um, so let's go ahead and look. Oh, before uh, I, and we're just going to be jumping all over Scripture together so you can follow along with me there. But before I do, just got some questions for all of us to make us think, to challenge us, to meditate upon. Answer in your own heart, in your own mind. Write them down if you want to. Pray about these. Uh, make them things that you challenge yourself with on a regular basis. Your whole life is a Christian in a diagnostic kind of a way to see how you're doing or what you think. Question number one, and these are all related to missions. I haven't even defined the word missions yet, but we will. I keep using it. I hate that word, and I'm going to show you why. But anyway, these are all questions related to missions. Number one. When was the last time you, as a Christian, shared the gospel with someone? Think about that. When was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? And what I mean by that is you, you actually talk to them about Jesus Christ, who He is, what He requires, what He did. And what He expects on a personal basis. Not when was the last time you talked to somebody about intelligent design. Or why gay marriage isn't correct. Or why abortion is wrong. Or creation versus evolution. Which are all 
good topics. The Bible addresses all those. That's not the gospel, though. That's not what I'm talking about. Or talked about morality or conservatism or religion in general or inerrancy, etc., etc. I'm talking about, when was the last time you talked to somebody about the gospel, specifically Jesus Christ? Because a lot of unbelievers, they'll be very comfortable talking about creation and evolution. That is not offensive at all. As a matter of fact, you're, you're on their turf in their mind. Well, you start talking about Jesus, that's a different story. So when's the last time you shared the gospel with someone? And I don't mean exhaustively. It could have just been a seed you planted. Uh, number two, have you ever led someone to the Lord? In other words, have you ever been in a situation of sharing the gospel, talking with someone, and there at that moment they came to trust and believe and commit their life to Jesus Christ and were saved? When, has it ever happened to you? I remember counseling, talking to a Christian. This is a while ago. They're not in this church, so don't, don't be nervous. Uh, just typical scenario, counseling, talking, got all kinds of problems. And I just, okay, we need, to get to, we need to cut to the chase here about their just basic spiritual life as a Christian. So I just started asking probing basic fundamental questions. One of them was, so when was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? Um, hmm. It's a good question. I'm not sure. When's the last time you saw somebody get saved in a conversation because you were sharing the gospel? And they said, well, I don't think, uh, come think, I, don't think I ever have shared the gospel with anybody. And how long have you been a Christian? 17 years. G- can I take your pulse? 17 years as a Christian, and they admit they have never shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that is just unthinkable to me. Because it is such a basic, fundamental command of Scripture. And they admitted that. When was the last time you led somebody to the Lord? And maybe that's never happened. You don't need to feel guilty if you've never actually... Because, you know, most of the time it's seed planting. Seed planting, seed watering, you trust God with the results. So maybe you're just a seed... You're Johnny Appleseed. You're Janet Appleseed. And you're throwing seeds of the gospel all over the place. And you get Jesus' name out in the gospel. And you just trust the results with God. That's, that needs to be our attitude. But every once in a while you get that, that jewel. You get to actually... God privileges you to harvest that fruit. That is so rare. Uh, but when it happens, pretty exciting. It's pretty amazing. And some people just kind of have a knack for that. How do you, how do, you do that so frequently and so often? But uh, uh, Question number three. Have you shared the gospel with all unsaved immediate relatives? I have a flurry of unsaved family members. And it needs to start there, really. If you cannot share even the basic rudimentary gospel... With immediate unsaved relatives, you're really not going to advance beyond that. Don't, try, don't want to be a missionary on the other side of the world if you can't even talk to the people you grew up with and who know you personally. It's got to start there. We're going to see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. When I got saved at age 19, that was the first thing I did. Um, to all nine older brothers and sisters, mom and dad. Ostracized and offended every single one of them. Except a sister and a brother came to know Christ. So that was amazing and gracious of God. Uh, but you've got to start there. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time uh, and you haven't talked to your parents about Jesus Christ and the gospel or your brothers and sisters, you have to. Start there. And, it, and you don't have to, man, how am I going to get an hour and a half? It doesn't take an hour and a half. It could be a three-minute conversation. 
It could even be something giving them a tract to read. It could be your Christmas letter where they have to read it. And you're, you can't argue with them because you're not around. Ooh, there's the gospel. Uh, question number four. Do those around you in your course of life right now, do those around you know that you're a Christian? Whether it's your neighbors, your unsafe employees at work, but are those immediately surrounding you on a regular basis, do they know that you are a Christian? And the follow-up question, part two, is do they under, if they know you're a Christian, do they know what that means? It's a great challenge for us, isn't it? Okay, here's the bonus question because a lot of people get this answer wrong. Question number five. What is the ultimate goal of missions? So if I had you write that down in a sentence or less, what would you say? The ultimate goal of missions is, and then you've got to fill in the blank. Maybe you don't know. That's fine. Uh, maybe you think you know. Write it down. What is the ultimate goal of missions? I'll tell you what it's not. It is not evangelism. It's not evangelism. It includes evangelism, but it's not evangelism. That's not the complete answer. Evangelism is an insufficient, incomplete answer. What is the ultimate goal of missions? It's not uh, individual salvation. It's not seeing people get saved. That is the, not the ultimate goal of missions. That's part of it. God uses that. That's one component and one element, but that's not the complete answer. What is the ultimate goal of missions? It's not discipleship. That's part of it. That's not the complete answer, though. Uh, it's not the glory of God. Whoa, how, how dare you? No, that's actually, that's not the goal of missions. That's the motive of missions. I'm talking about the practical goal, not the doxological goal, because that is the goal to honor God. It's the axiological goal. That's what I'm asking about. Axiological. The practical goal of missions according to the Bible is modeled and commanded in Scripture. It entails evangelism and individual salvation and discipleship. But the ultimate goal modeled and patterned in the New Testament, the ultimate goal of missions is church planting and establishing churches, the body of Christ throughout the world. Because under the purview and the umbrella of the established biblical church, local churches around the world, all those other things happen. Out of the headquarters and the mission of the church that Jesus said he was going to build in Matthew 16, 18, I will build the church... That's what Jesus is committing to building. And everything else flows out of that. So every church established in the name of God around the world is really an outpost for the kingdom of God. And the more churches we have, the better. And that is fulfilling biblical missions. And everything flows out of that through the church and from the church and to the church, the body of Christ to the glory of God, His precious bride, which would include evangelism and individual salvation and discipleship and baptism and teaching and preaching and on and on it goes. So uh, let's move on and talk about that. Let's go ahead and look at these six summary points I have about what is missions according to the Bible. Uh, theme verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you want to develop a philosophy of biblical missions, at the very heart of it needs to be Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, where Jesus told His apostles, His disciples, before He sent them out, locally and abroad, He told them, you shall receive power. Wait here. Wait here. Don't go anywhere yet. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's the motive for missions, you are supernaturally empowered and endowed by God. It's not a human doing. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. That's the message. Witnessing on behalf of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So the motive, God's Spirit empowering you. The message is all about Jesus. And then there's the method. 
The methodology is in the last part of 1.8. You shall be my witnesses. Tell people about Jesus both in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. That is the biblical missions verse in a nutshell. Okay, let's go ahead and define uh, what mission is specifically. Introduction there. Mission borrowed. Uh, the word mission. Here's why I don't like the word. The reason I don't like the word mission is because Prior to 1600, if you ask somebody what is biblical missions, they wouldn't even know what you're talking about because the word mission was never used for biblical missions for 1600 years of the church's existence. The word mission is not in the Bible. And the church didn't use that nomenclature for 1600 years. What was the, what was the church doing missions for 1600 years before somebody invented that term in 1634 or whatever it was? Yeah, they were doing missions. But not by that word. That's why the word mission is, it's an unbiblical, it's a non-biblical word. It's not a wrong word or an incorrect word. It is an imprecise word. That's the problem with it. And I'm using it over and over again today because I, we all know what we mean by the word mission. But when we're talking about biblical theology and being practical and fulfilling God's commands, we need to be precise and very specific and not abandon or jettison biblical terminology. It is so important. Making up our own new words. Well, I don't like the Bible words. We need to make up new words. That's a knack of some people. That's dangerous, actually. But the word mission as we know it was borrowed from Middle French, mission. I I never took French. I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation. But anyway, that's where it came from. French mission, which came from the Latin. All three of my four kids take Latin. I should have run this by them because I don't take Latin. Missionem. Act, it just means the act of sending. Now, we already have a biblical word for that, and it's called, there's two of them ambassador and apostle. A sent one. We technically don't need a new word, but we have one. It was first used in a Christian religious way in the 17th century. There it is. So the church never talked about missions prior to the 1600s. Augustine, Wycliffe, Luther, and Calvin never talked about missions, ever. But they did talk about fulfilling the Great Commission and evangelism and discipleship and salvation and advancing the kingdom of God in this hostile world. Before the 17th century, the church was called to pray for and evangelize the lost, be salt and light, be ambassadors, proclaim the good news, baptize converts, disciple believers, plant and establish churches, and thus fulfill the Great Commission, all to the glory of God. Everything I just said in the black letters is a definition of missions in a nutshell. So missions, it is a convenient term because it summarizes all that stuff. And that's kind of a mouthful to have to say all that stuff every time you're referring to biblical missions, right? So we will use, for the sake of convenience, the word mission the conventional word that has been brought down to us. And as we continue in our definition of what biblical missions is, it is highly important to say what missions is not. What is it not? A, missions is not philanthropy. It is not philanthropic work, social work, or good works, or being a do-gooder. Only in and of itself. Oprah is a way better, more dominant, more effective philanthropic do-gooder than I am and that I ever will be because of the resources she has. And she does do, on a human level, good works, helping people all the time. But that's not, that's not biblical missions. Uh, what else is missions not? It is not colonialism or imperialism. But a lot of people think that's exactly what it is. And that came from Roman Catholicism. So after the Reformation under Luther and Calvin, then the Catholic Church uh, cranked up 
Uh, it's, and they went into the full court press and they did the counter-reformation. And they decided they're going to infiltrate the world to combat Luther and Calvin's teaching. And that's when you had the rise of Roman Catholic missions around the world. Going into to the heathen and teach them English or whatever the native language of, was of the missionaries or Spanish and build a big building and call it a mission. There's the mission. It's that building. No, it's not. And teach them to worship the Blessed Mary Virgin. No. So that has that is huge in terms of our culture's understanding of what missions is. But that's not what we're talking about. What else is missions or missionaries? Uh, C. It is not reconstructionism. What in the world is that? Well, that that applies in different contexts. It's a literary term, but also applies socially. That means going into a society and rebuilding a society. Rebuilding all the infrastructure, going into a city and revitalizing the entire city on the exterior and building up the political infrastructure and the social infrastructure and the economic and educational infrastructure, literally building up the physical city and giving it a makeover. And some people actually believe that's what missions is about, even biblical missions. We're going to talk about that. That's what I mean by reconstructionism. It's very dominant in today's American evangelical Christianity. But it is not reconstructionism. It is not Christianizing society, if you will. We need to Christianize the Hollywood entertainment ministry. We need to Christianize this and Christianize that. It's already tried. It has failed all throughout history. That is not what God has called us to do. Missions is not reconstructionism. It's not ecumenism like the New World Council of Churches says it is. Uh, Biblical missions is not... Okay, here's C. Here's the big controversy. Uh, biblical missions is not reconstructionism, ecumenism, or being missional. I don't know if have you ever heard that word? Missional. If you haven't heard the word, that's probably a good thing. Uh, I started hearing that about four or five years ago. No, it was six years ago when I first uh, read Brian McLaren's book. He's the, the emerging church guy, the emerging church guru. And he says, and that's what his book is about, being missional. And I'm like... Okay, I, man, I've been studying theology a long time in the Bible, and I've never heard of missional. And where, what, wow, boy, I must have been asleep that day in seminary. Help me out here. Where'd that come from? So I just kept doing research, kind of listening and studying, and turns out, I, no wonder I never heard of it. It's a recent term. Somebody just kind of made it up. But it has a very specific nuance of meaning. And actually, well-intended, biblically-informed Christians are naively embracing that term. Because all they think, they just think it means being into missions and evangelism. That is not what missional means. It's being defined by those who made it up, who are advancing it, promoting it, and using it, and it drives their ministry. First and foremost, we need to be missional. They mean something very specific. Well, what is it? Well, it has to do with reconstructionism. It's literally going into a community and a city and saving the city. Christianizing the political structure, economics, education, everything. The, the street, physically, saving the city. Not just the people, the city. It's a new form of post-millennialism uh, of decades ago. Going in and literally saving the city. They're, they're, they're writing about this. They're preaching on it. They're, uh, they're not shy about it. Mark uh, Driscoll has a new book on it on the church that I read recently and did a book review of. And he's a whole chapter, as long as chapter, his most passionate chapter, is that we need to be Christians who are missional. So he very clearly explains what that means. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, that this is not the gospel and this is not missions. 
We're not supposed to go in and save the city and revamp the city and give it a makeover on the outside and on the exterior. And he says you need to go in to be truly missional. You need to own the town. So you need to go in and into that city as a Christian and you need to buy real estate and you need to own a house or two. And I'm thinking, man, you need to live in the Bay Area where I live or give me some money. And own four televisions and a big lot where you can plant a garden to let the unbelievers know you are here to stay. And fix the political structures and the public education system. I'm thinking, that's purgatory. That's not missions. And he's just going on and on. He's like, wow. But that is missional. So it's going and to save the city. And I'm thinking, that is so unbiblical. Just the opposite happened in the New Testament. I mean, think about Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, when He trained His disciples, He trained the first missionaries and He sent them out. And He said, don't go into the city and restructure the city and buy two houses and plant a garden and live there forever. He said, if you go into a city, you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and they reject you, you leave the city and shake the dust off of your feet. And then in the very next chapter, Jesus practiced what He preached. He went into Chorazin and Bethsaida. He preached the Gospel. They would have none of it. And He said, Woe unto you, Chorazin! Woe unto you, Bethsaida! Had I come to Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have received My message. Woe unto you on Judgment Day. So if the goal of being missional is to go in and be welcomed into the city and restructure it and dig your roots down, then Jesus failed. And the same thing with the Apostle Paul. He didn't have much luck either in that regard. He'd go into a city, uh, Lystra, preaching the Gospel, and they start hearing about Jesus and repentance of sin, and they start getting mad. start talking about Jesus and repentance. People get angry. What did they do? They beat him up. They dragged him out of town and said, don't ever come back. Paul was not successful at being missional. But he was successful at doing biblical missions, though. So, huge difference in the... I needed to kind of deviate on that because it is so dominant, we don't even realize it. So from now on, hopefully, when you hear the word missional, ding, uh, you will be alarmed or shocked or a signal will go up or a yellow flag or something. Because it needs to. It is something very specific in meaning. And it takes focus of what, of what the true biblical message is. Uh, and finally, what is missions not? Well, it's not going to a foreign land only. That's probably the number one answer that people give Christians. Well, what's a missionary? Well, there are people that live way over there somewhere. Well, no, that's not biblical missions. That's part of it, but that's not completely it. So that's also a deficient, insufficient answer. So now we'll go ahead and look at these six components of missions, and then we put them all together, and then that's kind of an overview or a big picture of what biblical missions is. Point number one, what is biblical missions then? Well, missions is fulfilling the Great Commission. I actually want to take you to every one of these passages. Did you know, because a lot of people think that the Great Commission was only in Matthew 28. Where's the Great Commission? Matthew 28. And? So I actually want to read all of those. So let's start in Matthew. Did you know the Great Commission is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts? Worded in different ways, but it emphasizes the main point in every single chapter. So Matthew's version or rendition of Matthew 28. Here's what Jesus said after his resurrection. He's about to ascend into heaven. He calls the eleven apostles. Verse 16, he says, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. They were to wait there. Verse 17, When the eleven disciples saw Jesus in His glory, they worshipped Him, but some were doubtful. Verse 18, And Jesus came up and He spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. 
Verse 18, go while going, while going, while going, while infiltrating the world, starting in your own backyard, while going. Therefore, make disciples. That is the command. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I, Jesus, commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That is the Great Commission. That is the heart of biblical missions. The Great Commission. Make disciples. Teach. Make disciples. Teach. Uh, Mark 16. Now, as we're reading all these main components that Jesus emphasized, notice what He's not saying. He is not saying, okay, go and feed everybody and eradicate poverty. By the way, that's one of the main goals of being missional is to eradicate poverty in your local city. How naive is that? When Jesus said, guys, you, you can't eradicate poverty the poor will always be with you. That's what Jesus said. Because of this fallen world. Because of sinful, selfish, greedy, lazy people. That is not the mission. And that's not the Great Commission. And Jesus doesn't say that in any of these. Uh, Mark 16, 15, and 16. Uh, similar parallel account. Starting at verse 14. And afterward, Jesus appeared to the eleven again. Themselves as they were reclining at the table. Jesus approached them for their unbelief and hardness, oh, reproached them uh, for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen Him after He had risen. And He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the Gospel. There it is. Go into all the world and preach the Gospel. Preach the Gospel. That's missions. And then some. Verse 16. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Preach in the name of Jesus. It's at the heart of missions. The Great Commission. Luke 24. Again with his disciples. After the resurrection, before the ascension, just before he parts, uh, in Luke 24, starting at verse 45, uh, Jesus talking to some of his disciples before he left. He said, uh, then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, the Old Testament, the Great Commission and preaching in Jesus' name was not a new message. It was God's plan for all the ages. Verse 46, and Jesus said to them, thus it is written in the Old Testament that the Christ or Messiah should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. That's the Gospel right there. Jesus Christ who he is, would die and rise again on the third day, verse 47, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. There it is. That's the Great Commission. Preaching repentance and forgiveness of sin in the name of Jesus Christ, in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth uh, the promise of my Father, which is the Holy Spirit, to empower you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high at Pentecost with the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 20, again, after his resurrection, talking to some of his disciples just before his ascension. Similar message. They are all parallel. Uh, Jesus, therefore, said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. See, you're going to be my witnesses. I am sending you. I'm sending you on behalf of me. Go tell people about me. You speak on behalf of me. That's missions. That's what the Bible says. Verse 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So again, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God as you go and preach on my behalf as my witnesses. And the message is forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ. Verse 23, If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. That is, if they believe in the Gospel, their sins will be forgiven. That's the Great Commission. But if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. So, and if anybody rejects the Gospel, they won't be forgiven of their sins. They won't be saved. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we already looked at this. Again, just before His ascension, talking to His disciples, um, it is not for you to know the times and the epochs that the Father has fixed by His own authority. It is not for you to know the times and the epochs. Did you guys, this is just a, sorry, sidetrack. 
Did you know that Judgment Day is coming up on May 21st this week, Saturday? I don't know if you've seen those billboards. They are all over the Bay Area. I'm trying to think. I start to panic and think, okay, everything I've got to get done. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I don't have to do anything. Just let it lie. But anyway, don't believe the sign. Because Jesus said, uh, nobody knows. You don't have to worry about, uh, it's not for you to know the times or the epics. It's not May 21st, Saturday, despite what Harold Camping says. Verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the uttermost or the remotest parts of the earth. That strategy is foundational to what missions is. So the content is we talk about Jesus Christ, His Gospel, who He was, what He did. He offers forgiveness of sins contingent upon repentance and belief in Him. And then you get saved and you're added to the body of Christ universally and spiritually and then God establishes physical, local churches all around the world as outposts for the kingdom of God and fulfilling the Great Commission all to God's glory. That is biblical missions. And the methodology is even laid out in verse 8. How do we do it? Well, Jesus said very clearly, you start, you're my witnesses, empowered by the Spirit of God, so it's not done in the flesh. You've got to be called and empowered by God as a missionary wherever you go. And it starts in your own backyard. This is why I said if you don't know anybody, if you want to be a missionary, start with your own immediate relatives that are not saved. Because that's what Jesus said to do. You start missions in Jerusalem. Well, that's where they live. That was headquarters. Start in your own backyard. Start with your own family. Start with your own. Jesus' two older brothers or his younger brothers didn't even believe in him at this point. James and Jude, they ended up getting saved and writing books for the New Testament. They did not believe Jesus while he was on earth. That's why Jesus knew personally, you got to start in your own backyard in Jerusalem. So you start there. You've got to be faithful at home. Jesus said, be faithful in the little things. I will entrust to you greater things. So I've worked at a few churches, five or six. And as a pastor, you're always involved, either immediately or tangentially or whatever, on the missions program of the church and the missions committee and how that church is going to deal with missions and missionaries and a philosophy of missions. So I've seen it for 20 years at five, six different churches. And every church is different. But I've learned some things. And it's got to start with, we've got to be biblical. And if people in our church want to go on missions somewhere on the other side of the world, the first question is, well, are you being faithful at home with your family right now? What do your co-workers at work think? What does your spouse and family members think of you? Are you faithful? Do you know your neighbors? Are you doing missions right here in your own backyard as a lifestyle? Because if you're not, you're not going to be effective on the other side of the world. That is the wisdom in what Jesus said here. You start in Jerusalem, your own backyard. And that's what, by the way, that's exactly how the book of Acts unfolds. It shows the apostles going out and early Christians starting in Jerusalem. And it says that they, they fulfilled that mandate and they filled the entire city with their doctrine. Everybody in Jerusalem heard Jesus Christ. And then, so that was the first circle. And then the next concentric circle was Judea or Samaria. Uh, look at Acts 1.8. So first in Jerusalem and then in Judea, the next surrounding area. And then beyond Judea was the greater region, then Samaria. And then when you've infiltrated Samaria, then you go to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's what we need to do in missions. So if you want to be a missionary and go on the other side of the world, question number one, are you being faithful where you are right now? Great verse. It's just loaded. But anyway, that's the Great Commission. I'm not going to read Acts 26 because it says the same thing. But the point is... Uh, Missions is all about the Great Commission. The Great Commission is all about preaching Jesus Christ, preaching and teaching. Here's a very interesting insight, because a lot of people think, well, you know, to be missions and uh, evangelical and Christian around the world, we've got to feed the poor. Well, 
Is that really what the church is called to do, though? To have a food pantry? Is that what we're really called to do? Having a food pantry is a good thing. It is a blessed thing. But is that what the church is called to do by way of a priority and a mission? And I, I want to direct your attention to Luke chapter 4. When Jesus told us what His mission was in fulfillment of Scripture in the book of Isaiah, written 700 years before Christ came in Luke 4, the first time Jesus ever publicly preached was in a synagogue in His own hometown. And He grabs the Isaiah scroll and He opens it up and He reads out of Isaiah, the end of the book. And He quotes Isaiah. And here's what He quoted in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus opened the book found the place where it was written. Here's his quote. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of God has empowered Jesus Christ to do His mission. And everything we do in terms of missions needs to model, reflect what Jesus did and what His priorities are. Well, what was Jesus' priority in His calling? He tells us right here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Spirit of God has anointed me to do what? To the poor. To eradicate poverty to feed the poor, that was not his calling. As far as we know, Jesus only created food and fed the They weren't even poor necessarily. They were just hungry that day. He did it two times in Matthew 14 and Matthew 15. They didn't appreciate it, so he said, I'm not doing that again. I'm just going to take care of my 12 guys. So he didn't spend three and a half years feeding the poor. And explicitly right here, what have you come to do, Jesus? The Spirit of God has anointed me to preach the gospel. So as a pastor, my main priority is to do what Jesus did. Well, what did Jesus do first and foremost? He preached the gospel. What does a church need to do? It needs to mimic Christ's ministry. We need to preach the gospel. If we get off focus, then we will be disobedient to the command and calling of Christ. And churches have done that all throughout history. And they end up preaching the social gospel, not the evangelical, eternal, saving grace gospel. And it's easy to do because that's a good message, isn't it? I mean, feed the poor, help the needy. Educate people? I mean, those are good things. Those are not bad things. Those are good things. But it comes down to what is the priority of the church commissioned by God to do what Jesus did. And Jesus says the Spirit appointed, anointed Him to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives. And that is spiritual release. Forgiveness of sin. That's what it means. So Jesus is first and foremost a preacher and a teacher of the spiritual, eternal gospel. His ministry is a spiritual ministry first and foremost. And here, the elders at GBF, we understand what our mission is. Maybe some people don't, but we do. Our mission, first and foremost, is a spiritual mission. And that's where our focus is. As we're trying to be faithful to what Jesus did and also the apostles and what Scripture has laid out. So it's preaching the gospel. So missions is fulfilling the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is primarily preaching and teaching Jesus Christ for repentance of sin, uh, for repentance and also forgiveness of sin. And that's how God builds the body of Christ, the church, that he wants to establish and grow. Uh, let's go on to point number two. Missions is the work of the... Just some elite people that are called to missions. No. Missions is the work of the church, collectively. Collectively and also individually. Uh, letter A. The apostles laid the foundation of the church. That's what they were building. They were building the church. The apostles, guess how many in the New Testament, guess how many schools the apostles built that we know of? Zero. Guess how many hospitals they built? Zero. Guess how many food and pantry bins they built? Zero. But what did they do? Well, they laid the foundation of the church because Jesus said, I will build the church. And that's point B. Jesus promised to build the church and only the church. There's nothing else that Jesus promised to build in his life. There's nothing else that he guaranteed would be perpetuated throughout history. Not even the Lakers. 
or the patriots will be perpetuated throughout history. Only the church of Jesus Christ. The church is the guardian of the truth. That's what it's all about. First Timothy 3.15 It is the household of God. It is the very guardian of the truth. The church is the priority. There can be no missions without the church. And there's missions. People try to do missions without the church all the time. Uh, people try to do fulfilling the mission of the church through the government, uh, through parachurch organizations. Now, parachurch organizations can be helpful, but if you're doing it only through a parachurch organization, apart from the church, you're not fulfilling biblical mandates. Everything related to missions needs to be fulfilled through the church. That needs to be the headquarters of fulfilling all of these biblical mandates through the church. Even individual Christians have tried to independently do missions without the calling of the church and the support of the church and the approval of the church. And they're not driven by biblical mandates, but they're, they're just kind of mavericks doing their own thing and their own agenda and wondering why. Well, why isn't God blessing? Well, what kind of connection do you have with the local church? What kind of accountability do you have with the local church? And sometimes it's uh, none, really. Well, then you're not doing biblical missions. You've got to be connected to the life body, which is the church of Jesus Christ that He said He would build. So there's no missions apart from the church. Uh, number three, missions is inseparable from the gospel. We've already seen that. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. As modeled by Jesus. Mark 1, 14 and 15 says, And Jesus came. This was the beginning of His ministry. What was He typified by? What did He do? How did He preoccupy Himself? What did He do uh, hours on end each day and for three and a half years? It says Jesus came. This was His lifestyle, His calling, and His occupation. Jesus came teaching and preaching the gospel. That's what He did. We need to do the same. Same thing with the, the apostles, man. The Holy Spirit came upon them and boom! They were out in Jerusalem obeying Jesus Christ, fulfilling missions. What were they doing? Well, look at Peter. Great example, Acts chapter 2. He's preaching. He preached the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He told his fellow Jews who Jesus was, how He died for sin, how He rose from the dead, how He will come again. And it says the men listening to that truth were pierced to the heart and said, what must we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized and you will be saved. That's biblical missions. And then they were added to the church. They were added to the church. And then in chapter 3, Peter and John keep preaching some more and they go to a, the temple and there's a guy out there, he's got a, apparently a cardboard sign that says, will not work for food, just give me money. A beggar. He's alms, alms. And John and Peter, who were godly men and loving men, and apparently their robes didn't have any pockets because when they went by this guy who was asking for money, they said, silver and gold, we don't have any. We don't have any silver and gold. We can't help you out here. We're kind of poor too. But what we do give you, and they gave them the truth of Jesus Christ. They gave that blind man even fulfilled a greater need. He was asking for a, the fulfillment of a temporal need. They gave him eternal truth which is greater. And that's the Gospel. That is our calling. Same thing with the Apostle Paul. He was called by God explicitly to preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He wasn't called to baptize or do any other parachurch Christian ministry. Paul was clear. He was an apostle. He was a sent one to preach Jesus Christ. First Timothy 1.11 says he was commissioned with the call of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. May I know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. May I boast in nothing except the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. So he knew his mission. So missions is inseparable from the Gospel. And that's I do appreciate Franklin Graham's ministry because he's involved in his local church and he understands this truth. Yeah, we do want to help people around the world and we want to be the first to be there. We want to be an example and a model and compassionate. But Franklin Graham doesn't do all these things because he thinks that's the heart of the mission. 
Franklin Graham realizes that to do all these things, to be kind, to be nice, to feed, to help the needy, uh, that's not missions. That's just the Christian lifestyle, isn't it? You're supposed to do that everywhere you go. Those are the one and others. And reflecting Christ wherever you go. But Franklin Graham will never do anything apart from giving a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So at Christmas time, here's your pretty little box and all these cool toys. They came from Jesus. They are a gift from Jesus Christ who loves you, who died on the cross, who calls you to repentance, that you might believe in Him and be saved. That's a good example. So gospel is front and center. It is the, the circumference and the, the center of everything that we do. Missions is inseparable from the gospel. We can't lose sight of that. Number four, missions is local and global. So we need the proper balance, right? We've got to start in Jerusalem, start in your own backyard, be faithful, and then maybe God calls you to somewhere else. Maybe it's not the remotest part of the earth, but maybe it's the next state or North America or whatever it is. Uh, but we need to be faithful where we are. That's the point. So it is local and global. Uh, the missional people among us, they've invented new terms for being missional, and one of them is glocal. You need to be glocal. That's what I did when I read it. I laughed. I said, are you serious? They are serious. We need to be glocal. All these cool, groovy terms that are actually kind of silly. But anyway, let's just say local and then global. And they get it backwards because they're saying global and then local. No, Jesus said local and then global. So it's local. Or I don't even know how to say that. Being local and global. Commanded by Jesus saying start in Jerusalem. You end up the remotest part of the earth. By the way, to get to the other side of the earth in missions, you need a chain every step of the way that goes back somewhere rooted in being local. So the chain of missions starts in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then ends up at the remotest part of the earth. And there needs to be a connect in the chain everywhere in between as we spread the Word of Christ around the world, as modeled by the apostles, they, they modeled local missions and global missions. If I were to ask you which one of the apostles was a local missionary, you would say, Peter, very good. Peter was called to be the pastor and chairman of the elder board at the first church of Jerusalem Community Church. He did not go anywhere. He stayed there. God commissioned him to do that. And then God called the other guy who was global, the apostle... Paul, commissioned specifically to be the apostle, phrase repeated many times in the New Testament by Paul, to the Gentiles. That's beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea, beyond Samaria, beyond Palestine. To the Gentiles, to the uttermost part of the earth. And we see that if you trace a map of Paul. He's all over the place. And his ultimate destiny, I mean, I want to go to Spain. The, other, the end of the earth was his goal. So that's what the apostles modeled for us. Number five, so missions is local and global, then every Christian is called to be involved in missionary activity. Every, are you a missionary? Your answer should be yes. If you're a Christian, some of you get this. Uh, thank you to all of you who responded to my email. I, I'm sorry for nagging you for three weeks and harassing you and calling you on the phone late at night. Answer my email! And many of you did. I really appreciate that. So out of about 100 members, we, we didn't get 100 responses, but... I put the data together, GBF missions on that white sheet right there. This was very encouraging as I computed all this data and information that you gave me. Very, first of all, very exciting uh, where how God has used our people around the world and even locally in missions. And also was encouraging because it showed us the heart of the GBF people regarding missions and 
you know, we started as a church plant with about 20 people. And ever since, you know, every once in a while, somebody will say, so are you guys committed to missions or do you believe in missions? And I, my answer will not change. We are a mission. We are a mission. And we got about 200 folks that attend GBF today. And if you were to ask me, well, is your church committed to missions? Because somebody actually came and visited our church and they asked me that. And they were here for a while and we talked and their big thing was missions. Are you guys committed to missions? Is GBF committed to missions? I didn't have that information right here, but I look at this and I say, yeah, our people are committed to missions. It's not programmatic. It's not formulaic, but it's real. It is dynamic. And some of you even shared awesome testimonies in those emails that I couldn't put in here. Great stuff. So we got GBF. Let's see how many GBF members that responded to me uh, support missionaries financially through prayer, tangibly. Fifty-four of you, and that, like I said, not even everybody responded. That's a great number. Uh, supporting missions for missionaries. GBF members who went on a missions trip. Fifty-eight. There's probably more than that actually. I, I thought that was great. You've actually been on a short-term missions trip. Uh, GBF members. Uh, that have been to the following places, and that's pretty much all over the world. Boy, it looks like we've got to beef up our uh, missions to South America or, or the Caribbean, actually. I'll, I volunteer. Uh, I love these quotes. These are from real live GBF members when I ask this question. I love this answer. My life is a mission trip. That, that's the biblical mindset, actually. That's, that's all these principles in a nutshell. My life is a mission trip, always engaging with cross-cultural people about the gospel. Because, you know, in the vernacular, we know what people mean. What do you believe about missions? We're thinking, you know, other countries, other side of the world, other language-speaking people. But, you know, God's kind of done something unique here in the Bay Area. God has brought the entire world to us, hasn't He? In our own backyard, literally. Down in Los Angeles, they have over 150 different vernaculars or languages representing people from all over the world. So we're in a cosmopolitan area. We've got the world coming to us. That's missions. Uh, another great quote. I have been on missions trips whenever I go home to my unsaved parents. One of you said. And here, among unsaved friends, to spread God's word. So missions is a lifestyle. Uh, so it's formal and informal. It's local and it's global. Hey, let's just call it global. And then finally, every day we are in the missions field. You know, some churches, if you go and visit them... Uh, uh, where that exit sign is on the back of our wall, at some churches, they have a sign that says, you are now entering the mission field. I love it, because it's true. So thank you for uh, contributing to that. Uh, every Christian is called to be involved in missions. Evangelism, salt and light. Philippians 4 says, let your forbearing spirit be made known to all men. Everybody should know that you're a Christian. Uh, Romans chapter 10 says, how shall they hear without a preacher? How blessed are the feet of him who brings good news of the gospel. Who are you bringing the good news of the gospel to? Just tell them about Jesus. You know, the easiest way. Well, that's kind of scary. Well, it is. Well, and it's kind of threatening and might be ostracized and it's awkward. Yeah, that's true. The easiest way that I have found to share the gospel is just tell your own personal testimony, your own story. That is so easy. How can anybody argue with your own personal story? They can't. I got saved when I was 19, man. I was a despicable sinner. and God in his grace saved me through Jesus Christ. No, you didn't. They, pe people usually won't say that. They will be gracious. They will tolerate the story. They will listen. 
and you actually got the eternal seed of the living gospel of Jesus Christ in there, and that will haunt them and torment them and convict them and hopefully soften them and woo them maybe someday. That's the gospel. So evangelism, Jesus said you're the light of the world. I mean, let your light shine, right? And then I love this in uh, Acts 13 where Paul was up in Antioch and he was on the pastoral staff. They had five teachers or leaders of the church up in Antioch. And Paul served there for years, a preacher at that church. And they had five other guys. Barnabas was one of those. Barnabas, Paul, and they had three other guys. And then after about a year, it says the Holy Spirit of God said, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas. Set apart for me Paul and Barnabas, to do this mission, if you will, and go plant churches. And it wasn't just an individual decision. It wasn't just the decision of the elder board. Actually, it says the whole congregation prayed for Paul and Barnabas and commissioned them. So every Christian needs to be involved in local missions and also global missions, even if it's just by prayer. And some of you, that was your answer. I support overseas missions and missionaries by praying for them regularly. That's awesome. They need your prayer. So every Christian is called to be involved in missions. Generally speaking, but number six is very important. Some Christians are called to be specialized missionaries. Specialized. That is also in that passage that I just read, uh, talked about, Acts 13, where God said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas to do missionary work abroad to the Gentiles. And Paul went on to plant 15 plus churches among the Gentiles that we know of. Maybe more. So he was set apart. So those other three guys stayed back in that local church, and were the pastors there. They were not called to be an overseas pastor, missionary, church planner. That calling is not for everybody. You've got to do your calling. You've got to seek God's will and His wisdom and ask, God, where do you want me to serve? You don't need to feel guilty if you're not going on the other side of the world. I remember when we started the church here, and a local pastor got a hold of me, and he started having meetings with me, and he was you know, uh, talking to me and conjoling me and trying to coerce me and say, man, you need to f- forget that church plant you're going to do. What, you're just going to be some pastor there with a bunch of fat and sassy Christians who sit around and do nothing and tell them the Bible all the time. and They can just read their Bible if they want to. Anyway, man, you need to be working with us because we're going to do evangelism because evangelism is, is where it's at. And so we had an interesting discussion. I appreciated his passion for evangelism. And I said, well, you raise a very good point that, brother, uh, we all have we have different callings. And I actually, I think my calling is to be a local pastor and not the roving evangelist. We, we need local pastors to stay at the local church, to be rooted, to be grounded, to stay with longevity, because God's people need to be fed, protected, nurtured, taught, counseled, encouraged on a regular basis. They need a home base with strength. Spiritual encouragement, that's the job of the pastors and the elders. You've got to stay here at home base. And that's what the Apostle Peter, he provided that stability so that Paul could go out all over. Paul would go out, he'd get beat up, he'd come back, he's got bloody bruises all over the place, and then Peter and those guys in the church of Jerusalem, they'd, they'd take care of him. And then he'd get healed up and he'd go out and do it again. So you, you need local churches and local pastors, don't you? You need local missionaries right here that can pray for you and counsel you and encourage you. What if every good, faithful pastor just left and went abroad and left you in the dust? How encouraging is that? That's what Billy Graham discovered early on uh, in his early 20s. He got passionate for God, at the time didn't realize, confused his calling. And he was an evangelist and he's traveling all over the world. And at the same time, he's trying to pastor a local church. Did you know he was a lousy, pathetic local pastor? 
He knows that. He admits that. And that's why he stopped doing it. I resign. I'm not called to be a local pastor. I'm called to be an evangelist. And so that's what he committed his life to is evangelism, not being trying to take care of something at home. That was not his calling. Uh, and that's what I mean by number six. Some Christians are called to be specialized missionaries, either on the other side of the world. And it, so I knew that biblically. But when I went to Kiev back about a month ago, it just hit home to me. I got picked up by the airport. My buddy Greg, I haven't seen him in like 20 years, except for one time. And we're driving, dodging all these cars, almost dying every turn and whatever along the way. And he's telling me his story. And I just started asking him, so man, you've been here 20 years. That's amazing. And wow, how did you know? When did you know that you were going to be called? And he said, well... Uh, I was young, it was before college, and I just, I thought I would want, I wanted to be a missionary. I didn't know where or doing what. It was just kind of a subjective feeling I had, if you will. And he's not prone to being subjective. And that's when he went to Grace Community. He was at Grace Community Church, and that's when they had missions night. And the missions guy talked for 45 minutes, and then John MacArthur gets up afterwards and gives that altar call and says, if you believe God is calling you to specialized overseas missions, we want you to come forward because we want to pray for you. And he said he just got a, a lightning bolt to the heart. Pierced to the heart. God, wow, are you, are you calling me to do that? And he, he couldn't explain it. And he, he brought guests that night that he was driving and he felt bad. He didn't want to go forward because he was responsible for his guests. But he, he bailed on him and left him anyway. i got to go forward. Came forward, the elders prayed with him. And it was like five or six years later, finally he realized what the fulfillment of that calling was. And it was to go to Kiev. And he said it was like being born again, again. It was so definitive. It was so real. It was so personal. He hated to use the word subjective because I might think he was a mystic. Hey, I thought you went to the master seminary, pal. But it was real. And I was just like, wow, that's an awesome story. So that's how it works or can work. And it was like two days later, I met the other guy, Bruce, who I also went to seminary with. Haven't seen him in 20 years. He's been there with Greg for 20 years. He tells me the same story. Well, Bruce, how'd you end up over here? It, in chapel one day, and Bob Provost gave a message about missions. And we need some of you. God's probably calling some of you, a few of you, to be on the other side of the world. And Bruce, just another lightning bolt hit him, changed his life. He couldn't explain it. Went home, told his wife, and was going to say, Honey, I think we need to move to, to Russia, because that's where they started. And he's thinking, She's never going to go for that. She wants to have kids and a nice family, and here in Los Angeles. And he went home and said, Honey, I think God's calling us to Russia. And she said, hey, let's pray about that. And he was shocked. They prayed about it. Boom. They ended up going to Russia. Then they ended up in Kiev, Ukraine. And they've been there for almost 20 years. They've raised their family there. They are convinced that's God's calling in their life. That is specialized calling. That's how in tune with God and His will and the Holy Spirit you need to be. That's how specific with prayer we need to be. God, what is my calling? Where do you want me to be? That is so important. And that's what they did with Paul. So here's some practical applications of, well, what can we do to enhance our support of biblical missions, fulfilling the Great Commission locally and around the world and abroad, and how can I do it in a hands-on, tangible manner? Uh, well, I only gave you 17 suggestions on the back of the sheet. Let's look at those. We're going to breeze through those, okay, real fast. Here's what you need to seriously consider. Don't be like the Christian I talked to who said, I don't think I've shared the gospel in 17 years. Well, when did you become a Christian? Well, I was born a Christian. No. So let's, let's be challenged by the mandate of Scripture regarding missions, local and abroad. What can you do? What can I do? Maybe some of you are already doing these things. Maybe some of you aren't. 
But let's pray about them and see God do a great work. Number one, showcase a missionary you know on the GBF missions blog. Some of you support missionaries. I know Andy Dow is one of them. Uh, I mean, I could list all kinds of them that you support. Rob Provost, Bob Provost, um, many more. And maybe some you know that I don't know. That would be so great for you to write a one-page summary of who they are. Introduce us to them. I'd like to introduce you to Joshua Smith uh, and his wife. For you to consider to pray for and support um, so we're going to use the missions blog. We'd like to just load that thing, write a one-page, two-page summary with pictures. The Heinz, Walton, Nancy, and their involvement down in Mexico. Turn that in. We'll get it up. We'll get it posted. The whole GBF family can read those and get to know these people and become personalized and have them come visit and have them come share and preach. And maybe some of us can own them as our own. Number two, pray for a missionary on a regular basis. That might be the result of number one. Three, support someone on a short term. Also a possible result of number one. Four, support a long-term missionary. Five, go on a short-term trip. Start praying. If you've never been on one especially. Six, pray for the persecuted church. Just an example. Uh, I chose Voice of the Martyrs. By the way, if you want to be a good steward, don't just go anybody that's a missionary and support them. You need to be discerning and make sure they're doing biblical missions. So you're investing your time, your prayers, and your money well. Biblical missions. Seven, start by praying for your unsaved relatives. If you haven't preached the gospel yet, pray for them, that God would soften them and God would give you opportunities to talk to them. If you have shared the gospel, keep praying for them. Uh, Number eight, ask God to help you share the gospel. You know, we need to do that very deliberately. God, give me... You know what? That's kind of a scary prayer. If you prayed, Dear God, give me uh, somebody to talk to the gospel this week, please. Very specifically in Jesus' name. You know what? He will do that. That's scary. But pray very specifically. Give the gospel to all your unsaved relatives. Ten, get a copy of Operation World and start praying for the world and missionaries in the world and get informed. Great book. They update it every year. Eleven, read a book about a great missionary and get inspired. Shadow of the Almighty, great book. Jim Elliott had to read that in seminary. Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret, another great book. That's just There's a zillion of them. Twelve, plant seeds of the gospel to neighbors and friends. How do you do that? Plant a seed. Back table. Uh, there are these great tracts of the Gospel. Plant a seed. Take one. I'd like to see all of them gone today. Just take one. Leave it somewhere. Go to a restaurant. Leave it on the table and a huge, massive tip like they have never seen. And put the bills in under each page. Tape them to the pages. So they'll, they'll read it. That's a seed. God uses His Word. 13. Okay, now 13 through 16 are very... You've got to do something. That's why there's a line there. Sign up for a short-term trip to Mexico. What short-term trip to Mexico? The one that GBF is hosting that we haven't even talked about yet or planned. <laughs> Walt Hine has been harassing me for five years, four years. Come to Mexico! So we're going. So right now, if you have a white card or a white piece of paper in your bulletin and you are interested in going to Mexico for seven to ten days to help the church down there and the orphanage and whatever else and the prison ministry down there, uh, write, interested in Mexico, put your name on it, hold that, give it to an usher or whatever you can. We want to see that. If you're interested, you don't have to go. You're not committing to anything, but if you're interested, because we're going to go, aren't we, Scott? Scott Snyder, we're going to go. Seven to ten days, it's got to be God's timing, but we're going to just start praying. So sign up for the Mexico trip right here. 14, I told Walt we're going to do that. Host a foreign exchange student in your home from somewhere around the world. Boy, what an impact you can have on the nations by doing that. Well, what about in July, somebody for six weeks from Switzerland, a teenage girl? Talk to me. Write it down. 
because we have a need. The pastor in Switzerland, my friend, he uh, has an exchange student that wants to come here in for six weeks in the summer. Teenager, sweet girl from Switzerland. Uh, if you can house her, let me know. Put it down on the card. Or you're interested. You don't even have to commit to it. Just I'm interested. Tell me more about that. What are the details? Exchange student. And there's also, you can go on a website and find exchange students all over the world. And some of them are even secular programs. Just heard one on Friday where you can have an exchange student, high school student from Germany, and it's by a secular organization. So chances are the German student is not even a Christian. Bring them over here six weeks, whatever it is, or a year. They pay everything, and you, you give them Christianity, a lifestyle, the biblical truth and the gospel. They go back to Germany, and there's another Reformation in Germany. Wouldn't that be cool? Fifteen, teach at Kiev Christian Academy. That's where I visited. Uh, they have about 25 teachers all speaking English. They need teachers next year. I talked to the administrator and she said, we need teachers at your church. Tell, we need English teachers. We need math teachers. We need history teachers. Uh, one-year commitments, five-year commitments, ten-year commitments, year by year. Uh, let me know. So if you are interested in teaching at Kiev Christian Academy where they have about 200 students, first through 12th grade, 25 great teachers speaking English, teaching English, don't worry about the finances. Finances is not an issue. If you are, have an inkling of an interest or a desire, write it down on the white card. Give it to me. Maybe God's calling you to do that. 16, grab a track in the lobby. Give it to someone who already talked about that. And then finally, 17, uh, pray and ask God if He wants you to be a full-time ministry. Maybe that lightning bolt is for you. And you've got to discern God's will. And you start by prayer. So at the end of the service... Uh, if you want to pray and you want somebody to pray for you, Tim Wong will be up here. Tim Wong, he's our, he is, as of today, he was our designated missions committee. We decided earlier before church started. All the elders, we voted. It was three to zero. Tim didn't vote. You are elected. So if you have, and, and Tim has been involved in missions for years. So, uh, but if you have a desire, just Tim, pray for me and, or pray with me and he will be glad to do that after the service. So anyway, this is very exciting and, uh, Let's be thankful to God together as we commit our time to the Father. Thank you, Father, for time in the Word and also worship. And thank you again for the clarity of your truth. Thank you for the models of Jesus, the apostles, and the early saints. So there is no question, there's no ambiguity as to what you call your people to do locally and around the world. And I just pray that your hand of blessing would continue to be on GBF. Thank you for all these people who are already supporting missionaries. And... So many that have already been on a missions trip, committed to it, and they see their life as a being a mission. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650 630 0009.